Jadeva Karjagil, this is episode 24 of the Rebel Matters podcast and today's episode was recorded in the East Belfast mission on the Newton Ard Road with Linda Irvine. Linda has been the driving force behind setting up tourists which provides Irish lessons and talks on the Irish language on the Newton Ard Road, making it the only Irish language centre based in a unionist community in the whole country. It was great to record this episode with Linda and to get an insight into how Taurus came about, its challenges and what they've got planned for the future. In this episode, we also talked about the current political landscape within unionism and quite a few other interesting topics that'll give you a real perspective on some of the problems that exist in the North today and especially how they relate to the Irish language. To give you a bit of perspective on the political geography of Belfast, if you're not already familiar with it, many areas in Belfast were separated from each other in the late 60s and early 70s by what are known as peace walls, which separated Protestant areas from Catholic areas, and the walls are still there today. If you go down the Falls Road at any time of the day these days, you'll see tourists stopping at the wall to take photos, and to some degree, the walls have become a tourist attraction, but in many places, they still serve as kind of a psychological security blanket. Whatever way you look at it, they're there to keep people apart from each other and they're still performing that function. Whether or not all of the walls are actually needed anymore is an area of debate. But as of today, the vast majority of walls that have gone up in Belfast since the 60s, 70s, 80s, even the 90s have never been taken down for one reason or another. One of the results of living in a conflict area is that we didn't really travel from one area of the city to the other that much. And while there, this isn't as big an issue as it was before, say in the 90s even, I think it's still present in Belfast today. Areas that are populated with the majority of Catholics or Protestants are pretty much self-contained with their own shops and clubs and things because of the fact that people didn't travel from west to east that much and so on and so forth so being from west belfast i was rarely in east belfast and this was only the second time for me to be out on the newton Ard road where this podcast was recorded the irish language in belfast has seen a massive revival in the last number of decades and it's the language that i've always spoken at home with my family when i was at school and going about my everyday business in belfast the irish language movement is completely non-sectarian and non-religious but at the same time the revival was very much concentrated in the largely Catholic areas of Belfast. Developments like the Calderland, the Gaeltacht Quarter, Radio Falsa, Glornamona and College de Farsha have made the language a part of everyday life in West Belfast today. So it's a massive step for the Irish language movement to have people from Protestant communities speaking, learning, teaching and taking ownership of the language, which has always belonged equally to anyone who wanted to use it. The work that Linda is doing with the language in East Belfast is monumental and has got very positive implications for Belfast and for the language as a whole, which is why I was really looking forward to having a chat with her. Before we get stuck into the episode, just a quick reminder of one or two things that are happening in and around Ackley down in Cork. As I mentioned in the last episode, we're holding a pop-up Palestinian shop on the 16th of December from 11 o'clock to 6 o'clock where we're bringing over loads of handcrafted goods from the West Bank and we're going to sell them in a pop-up shop to raise money for the Ada refugee camp in Bethlehem in the West Bank so get on board and come down and do your Christmas shopping there as usual if you're interested in finding out more about Ackley you can go to the Ackley website aclai.ie there's a blog there with lots of material on health personal development nutrition and training you can check that out and if you're interested in coming on board for some personal training you can book a complimentary consultation on the Ackley website as well come down and see how we can help you out with your health and fitness sir it is www.ackley.ie so Shanae Harja let's get stuck into the episode and the chats with Linda Irvine Co-gorgeous or the screw screw the olive I want you mock. Sure, Margaret. Jamie Ravishi. And Rowan the sort. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, you know, Jobber may you know into into um, crew, um, Mar you know um, 
Vishay Vishay in the Jacker, Jacker will Jacker galore, um, run me in GCSE, couple of Leno Hen August, you know, Vishay, you know, just first, um, an Asian, um, run me in Diplo, um, a old scholarly, and, um, you know, Vin Vin, Grandma Doc, Jacker, but, you know, Vishay my galore, but, um, a-level, just, you know, fiche, fiche, you know, came more, came more. It's given them my A-level, I know. I know to make stage or Yeah, well, yeah. Um, now, it's Bralum and Gramadoc, but um, being, being Litriacht, Jacker, um, Rinmage, um, Scarskilte, and just, um, you know, Cannons, different, different, and, oh, God, fiche, like, Wading through mud. Or how to occur during Gale Talk? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We may on, um, well, Gackblain, Gackblain, um, who we may, um, and Shin just, um, and Cater, oh, it's Shadeblain, oh, Hen. So August Nero may on, um, River, River Shin, and, um, Anish, um, Chaim Gackblain. August. Can or a hussy to Fulham Gillig? Well, hussy may Fulham, um, Shackley and O'Hen, and um, but you know, so near Fuckle or be Yogam, um, River, you know, Rivershin, and um, just can far or hussy to Fulham Gillig? Well, it's me and Ralish and Chang and our Hannig may or he, um, they may, um, well. We may parch um, Grupa and Shaw, um, Grupa Mara, O um, Bohar Wallen, you and Harda, August um, Grupa Mara Ella, O Tragar, August um, Bulan, um, Wedge Lakela, Gak Shakton, um, August Rinwedge, you know, uh, you know Skilty, August, you know, Ruddy Ella. And um Rin Rinwidge um just um sort of Chunskadal project and Chunskadal um our um taster session um Gaelic. So, you know, Hitchman and Ralish and Changa. Um the um the um the Mara um of Tra Tragar Nero Sim or B, um, Aku or Gaelic. August Royal Wen. Tag Gribba Shule, I'll go faster. Gribba Shule, I'll go. August Lawrence of Gaelic, Nervine Chivik Shule, Erin Crook. Um, no, no, no. Just, um, sort of, um, women's group. Oh, right. Group of Moran. Gribba Shule, I'll go Vanish, not well. Like oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, and change of Mark Um, er, well, Ursavi, Ursavi. Mm-hmm. Your tattoo, No, God, no. no. Oh, God, no, 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 no. To clock to the arm, Tammy Gary and Kem Ayanu, um, Bedger and Blaine Shaw Huggins. So, we may counsellor um, Mihalo Manning, oh, um, Skull in the van, Raina. August, um, they may able to, um, a go go part, I'm sure. So, 
I'm interested in how you ended up speaking Irish in the first place and then how that was perceived by other people within your community. Well, just um, just over seven years ago, I was part of a women's group, and we were cross-community women's group, women from the Short Strand, women from Newton Arch Road, and as well as all the things that women's groups do, we did a six-week taster in the Irish language. And, I mean, I hadn't a word of Irish. I couldn't have told you what false she was. I had no knowledge of it whatsoever. couldn't have said I was, had any issue with it. I don't know if I was overly interested I just didn't know enough, just didn't, because I'd never had the opportunity to engage with it. But I just hitched my own rallies in Changa, I really did. And, and I don't even know why, I don't know what, there was something about it just intrigued me. And I think one of the things I remember when I was told, it was actually a Protestant woman, Maureen Herndall, who introduced me to the language. It was her that was taking the six-week taster. But I remember when I was told that you didn't say, like, Lauren Gaelic, you said, you know, to Gaelic, I have Gaelic. I just remember thinking, I want to have that. I want to be able to say that's mine. And I decided I was going to learn it. And at the time, I was teaching in a, a local secondary school, and I, I came from back when I had no education and had my children very young, and I went into education in my 30s and qualified as a teacher when I was 40. So I'd been teaching, you know, for maybe about six or seven, six years or something at that time, six or seven years. And um, it was stressful. I'd enjoyed it, but it was very, very stressful. And my husband, Bran, was leader of the Progressive Unionist Party at the time. So life was very... It was just a very stressful period in my life. And to go and learn Irish with a friend was it was just a wee escape and it was really friendly. It was actually Jim that you met there, he was the teacher, and he was very enthusiastic. We went over to Andrehead and her and I used to walk down and do the class and walk back. And you know, there was no long term plan. It was it was really was total escapism and something that you went in and I've heard a lot of other people saying the same thing. Maybe they've had different difficulties because you know you had to really focus in the class because it was all you know and you could take the wee words away home and sort of look at it and you know it was just something really nice to do but when I went because I had no idea I didn't know you could go I didn't know culture land existed I didn't know in existed I didn't know you could go places and learn Irish and I wish I had it because I went 20 years ago you know but you know they told me oh you know I was um you go over to Duncarn and you could go here and you could go there. So I started going everywhere that there were classes, theology and cursors, and it was just it's just entertainment really. And then, you know, people were saying to you, oh, you should read this, or you should look at that. And I came across the stuff that Altac had produced, you know, and Presbyterians in the Irish language and things like that. And it's just really blown away. And you know, it sounds stupid, but you know, I was forty before I knew that Belfast was Belfast. My authorities before I knew Belfast was Belfast, yeah. Nobody had ever told me that. And that was total unknown to me. So you started to think, 
know, I've been living with the bloody paper bag of my head all my life. <laughs> How did you not know these things? And I just became more and more fascinated by it, and I suppose more frustrated by it. I also sort of realised too that other people were interested as well. That that was kind of one of the first things that happened. But it was a, a series of well, I I say it's providence rather than coincidence, but um, it was a, a series of things happened that sort of put the ball in motion. So it was never that I sat down and decided this is what I'm going to do. It really just was nearly taken out of my hands. So one of the first things that happened was, um, you know, I, I started reading about all these things and um, I was asked to go to a thing over in City Hall, which wasn't, I wasn't meant to be there, but I ended up there. And Carolyn Hill gave me her phone number because what? Well, because and the reason because I'd ended up in the newspaper because of Brian, you know, it was Irvine relative of Irvine learning Irish, you know. And I give this interview that said about, um, you know, East Belfast Mission. They were then inundated with people from their own staff and people from the area who wanted to learn Irish. So we started up our own wee class here, just on a voluntary basis. So then I um, was over at this thing in the city hall and Karen um, gave me her phone number and I remember thinking, what am I going to do with that? <laughs> I'm going to ring her, you know? And then that Christmas, I was off work for Christmas and I remember saying to Brian, you know, I need to do something about this. I just knew there was something, but I didn't, I couldn't articulate what it was, but I knew, I knew something was going to happen with us. I knew that I was meant to do something but I didn't know what it was and I'll tell you the height of my ambition was maybe have a leaflet we could have a leaflet I could get a leaflet made you know and he said to me why don't you ring your woman Sinn Féin and I said well, I couldn't ring her I said I couldn't and he said well, what would you give her your number for like I remember and this is true I sat in my stairs and I couldn't, I couldn't ring you know because I'd say what the hell are you ringing me for and um, when I rang her she said no you come come and meet me that's great so I had to meet her, and she was the minister at the time in the town. And um, I remember thinking, God, I'll have to put together. I don't know what the hell I'm talking about here. So I put together like a wee folder of all the different wee ideas it had about, you know, because I'd started to look at the senses and saw these people who were Protestant who were speaking Irish and, and all these different things that were just all this new discovery for me. And I thought, you know, because I needed to tell people, I wanted to share this with other people. Because other people had realised they were interested, and then there was a few that were going, you're doing that for? Are you letting her do that for, Bram? We keep her in the house, you know, all this nonsense. So when I went over, she said to me about funding Farsh Nagelica. Now, if she'd have said to me, go you off and speak to Farsh Nagelica, I would never, ever have spoken to Farsh Nagelica. I'd have just went home and went on learning Irish, you know. But um, she set up a meeting, and I was fair to you. And Ferdy and Shan I met with, and um, I told them my ideas. And then another coincidence happened was, because I didn't know they couldn't fund you as an individual, but somebody brand knew, I was telling him, and he says, oh, they can't fund you, Linda. Let me come and be your funder. And he was he had a thing in Ballybean, you see, so he said, I'll do it with you. And um, so he, he came along with me. And I hadn't, I mean, I had very little Irish. So when Ferdy and... Shan started talking to themselves, each other in Irish. I didn't know what they were saying, but all I heard was, and Ferdy's was very straight faced, you know, so you wouldn't, you just couldn't gauge, like, and all I heard was, a rose, a rose. 
<laughs> this is all right. So they sent, they, well, they sent me away and they said they'd send me an application form, but they had to get it translated into English, which took them forever, you know. And I filled it in, and Dean, who was the guy from Ballybean, he, he did the other bit. And Gary Mason, who was here, who was a friend of ours, and, and we were doing it in the mission, he said to me, why didn't you come to me? And I said, I never thought, I didn't know when Dean was there. And he said, oh, and he says, oh, well, can't be anything done about it. And two days before I put the application in, Dean phoned me and he said to me, Linda, we're bust. We've lost all our funding. So I rang Gary and he said, come around the mission straight away. And he da, 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 da. So it was always meant to be the mission, you know. Yeah. And that's kind of what happened. And then it went into Forest and they were very unsure whether they would get, I think we asked for 40,000 or something. And um, I remember them, they rang me to say the board had given the okay for a year. So I left my job and um, I taught my secondary school here in East Belfast. And I remember Brian saying, we're not going to, because we lived behind the mission. He said, we're not going to have any windows. You need to keep your mouth shut. And I started, it was the 3rd of September, 2012. And the other coincidence that happened, we were doing a thing in Icefield with Corrie and Gail Scully-Acta. It was the Together Through Culture Project, and I was in charge of it. And um, Matthew, you know Matthew? Um, Matthew Kake? Thomas Belfast, he taught, like he's, he's in America and I, I introduced him to a girl, he's a good teacher, you see. So he was doing it, and I'd been telling him about me learning Irish, then I told him about getting the fund, and he said, well, I'll come and help you. And I said, well, I have no money, and he said, I don't want any money, I just want to come and help you. So he came, and he was perfect, because he was from the New Lodge Road, he's very down to earth, and he just suited, you know, and it's kind of, and he sectarianism just just about stuff, and, you know, he just wasn't really interested. And we'd had this one class, we started up a new class, and he had a great rapport and he had a great way of teaching, and it was that whole, you know, come clean art, shin, shin this, shin that, so they loved it, and it wasn't about writing anything down, so they weren't intimidated, you know. And we'd had 30 odd people then in no time, in a few weeks, you know, and they were just loving it. That's was that in this building right now? Well, the building wasn't ready. We were actually across the road, and, and there was like a furniture shop where they, they were in there. And then the building, that was in September, the building came in October, and we came in here, and we weren't, now we weren't up here, we didn't have the rooms. I was downstairs in an office with six other people, and um, we just had it in random rooms, you know. And it was another year in, year, 18 months before we got the money to get the rooms themselves and, and kind of create this. And then, See these rooms, are these specifically just for Learn Irish? Or? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Taurus took these in 20, January 2014, we got these, and let's um, say we managed to get the money, and we're going to extend, we've now put in Department of Communities, and we're going to take the whole corridor, going to knock the walls down, we're going to make it into a proper learning centre, because this was actually built for Belfast Met, and they never came, so they're just done like random classrooms. Um, but we're going to put in a tea station, a social area, and a library area, and study area and whatnot. Like for anyone who'd be listening to this who's not, say, from Belfast, it's probably important to put in the context, you know, like the sort of gravity of what what that yeah. is. Like, well, I, I mean, I'll give you a few examples. The first year that we started, then we had a, an event for Shackton the Gaelic. That must have been 2013, and I remember the BBC came out. <laughs> 
there's an Irish language event on the Newton Arts Road, you know, which we didn't think was a big deal, didn't seem like a big deal. Though at the time I wasn't on social media and my son said that there was a girl had went on and said, did you know they're doing Irish language on the Newton Arts Road? We need this. And people are starving. We need to have a protest. And nobody bit. And lots of people said, good on them. Good stuff, you know. And... We just got publicity. So when we when we actually got the rooms here, and we had a like a, a kind of an opening event, and um, I remember downstairs, and my nephew did a the mural that we have in the, the office next door, and I mean there's still the photographs. It was just bond people, bond UDA came, everything was great, and we taught them Irish for six weeks. So I did, and um, it was it was good. It was really great. And, um, you know, it was just a real, real buzz. And I remember saying to um, Matthew at the time, I said, we will never get publicity like this again because of BBC, ITV. They were all, oh, my God, I couldn't even go to the toilet because we just, you know, newspapers and TV and all this carry on. We were all over the newspapers. And then about three weeks later, um, your man Chittick from the Orange Order stood up at today and said Protestants should not be speaking Irish. The media again. And, I mean, that was still the midst of, because when we started, it was, you know, the flag protest came, we started in September, the flag protest came in November and whatnot. So it was all, you know, it was a tense time, especially in East Belfast. But I remember being worried, because, you know, at that stage, it was probably about 60-odd people we had. And a lot of them were quite still quite nervous, the Protestants they didn't want anybody knowing that they were learning Irish, didn't want neighbours or friends knowing, you know didn't, didn't when TV cameras or anything come in, they you know, didn't want to be on some of them were okay, some of them weren't quite a lot of them didn't didn't want to be known um, remember one fella he, he didn't want his mother knowing he was learning Irish and whatnot. and um, she was one of the flag protesters and showed me you've got our flag for their own personalised flag for Christmas with no go go big mo on it. <laughs> but um, the reaction of the learners was really interesting because what it actually did was it strengthened them and they turned up en masse, even ones that maybe been missing for a few weeks and said, No, you know, just want to let you know we support you. We, they started their own group, Cargitaris, that came out of that. And um, then that eventually became a charity and, you know, constituted as a constituted group. And we had a few strangers, all men, who turned up and said, and I'm a Protestant or I'm a Unionist or whatever. And the Orange Order said, I can't learn Irish. At times your classes start out. You know, so it was really interesting. Where do both those contrasting attitudes come from. You've got one side who are saying like Protestants can't learn Irish and then you've got the other ones who are kind of standing up and saying like, I want to learn Irish. So Because I think no matter what, and this is what I think the, the DUP, this is where the problem they're going to have is people are interested in it. People within the unionist community are interested. There is a bit of a fascination for it. And I think sometimes, I mean, I feel, and I know a lot of people feel the same, I feel like I've been denied the language. And the only reason I've been denied it is because of the tradition I come from never got the chance to engage with it and I find a lot of people feel like that too and you know I never set out to start an Irish language centre I never set out to start classes but I set out to learn Irish 
and I set out to say to the other people that there was not an issue with it. And what I found was that they came and said, I want to do this too. I'd love to, I've always been interested. I want God, I'd love to do that. So, you know, I, I didn't know that interest was there, but it was. Like, so we just seemed to hit a gap in the market, you know. I was talking to Seamus McShann, who's, of course, mm-hmm. one of the yeah. Irish language stalwarts in Belfast yeah. and for Ireland as well. But one of the questions I asked him was, did he think that the Irish language and the Republican tradition kind of had a crossover? And he was like, absolutely 100% not. Yeah. He, and Seamus uh, and Sean McShan and other people who've been driving the Irish language yeah. in Belfast f- yeah. for decades have never wanted a, con- a political connection yeah. with the Irish language. But I think then, like being from, from that background myself, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding there that the Irish language is yeah. inextricably yeah. linked yeah. with republicanism. That, that's one of the things I've tried to challenge. And it's been a, it's been a bit of a tightrope too because I think... When I started, you know, there's a number of people who would have liked me to have taken, you know, a sort of an anti-Shin fee and, you know, we're taking a back attitude. And that, that could have been a very easy position to take. So I could have been anti-everything that happened in West Belfast and we could have set up our own wee Protestant utopia, you know, sort of a thing. And I didn't want to do that and I wasn't interested in that. And it, you know, I didn't feel there were people around me who were interested in that either. Um, and for me, what was important was, I suppose, taking our place within the Irish language community. And I know, you know, I'm very well aware at first when we turned up at a few things, because we were very, you know, with a couple of fuck all and we're very unprofessional, you know. <laughs> you know. But I think we have proved ourselves over the years and you know, our, my abilities grow and my learners' abilities grow and we're still very heavily weighted with um, beginners but we've now got people at university, people doing A-level, people doing GCSE and in years to come, you know, we are going to have people who are LIFA, there's no doubt about it and we're looking now at the possibility of a knee skull and a bun skull That's, that'll be a game changer so, you know, where the politics are concerned Without, without trying to be, you know, all the negativity, what I have tried to promote is the fact that the language, you know, is a way of building bridges. Um, and I've seen that, you know, very much here, that it's a shared history, it's a shared heritage. One of the things that's important to me, I suppose, because I, you know, even though, you know, I, I wouldn't go out of my way to say that I'm unionist, but I am from the unionist community. I do, you know, the links to the rest of the UK are important to me. And, you know, I was talking about this recently at an event that, you know, I, I wouldn't lose sleep over United Ireland, but I would lose sleep over losing links to the rest of the UK. That, that would be an issue for me. So for me, one of the things that intrigues me with the language, um, and I think it's very important to promote, and I have, and I don't know why to promote, is the links to the other parts of the UK, so the links to Scotland, the links to the Isle of Man, and I feel that I feel frustrated because people don't know that, you know, and especially people from my own community who, you know, feel this big connection to Scotland, but don't know that Scottish Gaelic is is part mm. of Scotland. Um, they don't know that other Celtic languages are spoken in other parts of the UK. They don't understand that English you know, is only one language in the UK and that Welsh is an important language in the UK and, you know, and you just think 
you know, one of one of the things when I realised was first it was actually it was um, a friend of mine who is uh, he is um, Scottish Gael, who you know he's Presbyterian, he's, he's met works for the Board of Rangers. Um, he would very much see himself as unionist. He's a member of the Labour Party. He was a Labour MP for many years, and he pointed out to me in the British passport that it was written in Scottish Gaelic and Welsh. And I thought, God, you know. It's this, funny you say that because uh, when I was talking to Seamus yesterday, he was relaying a story to me that whenever the houses on the Shaw's Road were built, the Gaeltacht houses, that mm-hmm. actually the British Army came in and kicked in the doors and went in, and there was a fellow there from the Scots Guards or something was yeah. talking in Gaelic. They one of his mates in the British Army, so I think they had a, they had a few crosswords in Irish yeah. with each other. Yeah. But <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, and actually, I didn't I didn't realize myself until recently enough that the Isle of Man, the language they speak there, yeah. is yeah. basically like Irish written it's in like simplified. Yeah, I, like the way you said, yes, kind of. Yeah, when we were over and we were taught about smilum, <laughs> you know, and they don't say about smilum, um, smilum. Um, Aaron Tra, Smilum, Smilum, you know, and would say, what else were you saying? Um, Tammy Ski, so Ski, they use Ski for tired. Yeah, you know, and that's the word in Irish uh-huh. for a break, uh-huh. rest, yeah. yeah. So did you look up then, did you get interested in the Protestant connection with the Irish language going back the years? Yeah, I did. So I read a lot of stuff for the Old Talk Trust and, you know, when I saw a lot of stuff about the Orange Order and about the Presbyterian Church and about the Church of Ireland and, you know, just all these different wee random things. And what I did when I, I took the job here, I, I created just a big PowerPoint and I called it the Hidden History of Protestants in the Irish Language. And all the wee random things that I had discovered and read about or just came across, I just bunged them all in images. So, you know, when I realised that Fokabala was from the Irish and the Red Hand Commando, um, you know, Lav Jericho and things, I just put big images and music and, you know, and just took it out. And, had, and now people just go... <laughs> Yeah. Where does that thing from Lafayette Argabu come from? Because I seen there's well, a mural somewhere with yeah, Lafayette Argabu written there, isn't there? Um, so it is, and the flags. I mean, the Red Hand Commander were based across the street from us there, so they are. But um, and would be very positive, you know. And I've taught some of them, you know. We've taught some of them here, Irish and whatnot. Um, How does that fit into their their point of view? Like from what you know, like they see it as see they don't like Irish, they like Ulster Gaelic, you know. I say, come on, don't. And they, and I've had sort of arguments with them about it, and I said like. You know, but I think it's Ian Adamson's really has a bit of a. But would they see that as a contradiction? The fact that they have Laviargabri written them on their murals? No, no, they they see it very much. They see they like Cahillan and they like they like the whole Ulster thing. You know, they just don't like the Irish thing. So, and I said to them like, don't worry about whether you call it Irish or you call it Gaelic. Just learn it. Just. Like yeah. I seen that mural, I must have, I must have been. I think I was about fifteen or sixteen. I actually don't know how I ended up seeing it because it would be very rare that we would have been in an area yeah. that would have had a loyalist yeah. mural like that. But at the time, I remember thinking. I actually think it was in the mid nineties mm-hmm. at the time when the the LVF came out, and that was the time we we couldn't even go to town with our school uniform, yeah, or yeah. we really kind of stayed in our own areas with youth yeah. clubs and stuff like that. But I remember thinking to myself when I was about fifteen, saying, "There's a group here who are on the news on on the news saying they're." going to come and kill any of us if they see us in the town because we're Catholic yet to have an Irish yeah. thing written yeah. on their murals yeah. well, well this is I mean this is the ridiculousness of it and I think a lot of them didn't even probably I think we do now but I think a lot of them didn't even realise it was Irish so I mean I've been in situations where somebody said oh, I find that language offensive and I said well then you stop putting it on your walls you know 
So when you question that and challenge that, and the reality is most people are reasonable and rational, and when you start pointing this out to them, you know, they kind of get on board. Thought about that, and it was one night I, I give a talk in Antrim, and these three guys come in, and you know, quite obvious they were looking a wee bit of trouble, and it was a whole, you know, sort of a thing. And and I would be quite humorous when I give talks, you know, and use a lot of humor, and people, you know, get a bit of crack, and just not straight faced, you know. But you could see, and I, I mean, this happens all the time when I'm giving talks because especially the ones come in, their faces are as hard, and especially if they didn't know. Maybe you'd go out to groups and they hadn't been told what it was about, you know. And then all of a sudden, you know, there was a woman recently and, you know, she was sitting in the middle and she's... And then just looking to see how the other one's reacting, you know, because they're laughing, you know. You know, and by the end of it, they're, you know, they're fine. So this one anyway, then, at the end, the questions and answers and they're sort of saying, God, you know, can't get over this and whatnot. So um, whenever they got home, he had done a wee tweet and he put it, he had um, fuck a bala tattooed up his arm so he said this is my contribution to the, the language debate you know? what, what does that mean? well it's an anglicisation of the Irish Fagan Valak so oh Fagan Valak right yeah, right so that's what the um, Royal Irish Regiment use that you see as their that's their motto is uh, it? you'll get that in the flags here the 12th and whatnot. Uh-huh. and here's the other thing too you know it's why all these wee things I have found out over the years um, we have a friend he was UDR but one of his sort of jobs he had to do was go into the officers' mess whenever they had the big dinners, and he said the opening prayer. Now, he hadn't a word of Irish, but the whole prayer was in Irish, and he just learnt it all. He couldn't have told you what it meant, but he could just recite it, you know. So it's all these wee things, you know. And then they say the Orange Order, they were very involved with the Gaelic League, loads of prods involved with the Gaelic League, obviously. And, um, I didn't know the Orange Order were involved. Oh, yeah. Well, there's two main ones that I do, and actually the Orange Order was their historian give me this. He came down, and I don't think they knew, but he just gave me all the information. And um, there's a guy, um, oh, what's his name? I do this talk all the time, I can't think of his name. He's on a Porter Down banner, so he is. And he was, he was County Grand Master. I can't think of his name. But anyway, he was a member of the Gaelic League and um, it's actually said that he used to sign the minutes of the meetings in Irish, but the Orange Order have lost them. So I always make a wee joke and say, but they're looking for them, you know, and turn up and whatnot to people like that. Then there's another guy, um, oh, there's another one gone. He did Hollywood, he's on Hollywood's banner because he's canon somebody or other. He formed their, their um, lodge and he was a, um, he was the, the um, one that Martin Gibson is now, you know, the big chaplain thing. But he actually seconded a motion that all children in Ireland should be taught Irish. So I always say, there you are, straight from the Orange Order. You know, I always make a joke and say, now, it had his way. I wouldn't be struggling with all those irregular verbs and whatnot, you know. So... Um, there's a lot of links with the, the Orange Order. They also were able to tell me that during the, the 19th century and whatnot, they'd had these big soirees for, it was around about some, you know, Guy Fawkes Day, and round the hall that had banners that said Ked Mila Falsha. Like the Irish language has become a very polarising issue in recent, last couple of years. Sadly, with, sadly, you know, yeah. where is, Why is that being perpetuated by, I mean, 
I guess it's kind of been perpetuated by the DUP for, for a large part of the minute around the fact that the, they're against having an Irish Language Act, but where does that come from? Well, I'll not, I'll not name the person, but I had somebody in here who would be um, from the, you know, sort of leadership in the loyalist community, and his attitude is, well, you know, it's, it's a nice handy game for the DUP because while they're protecting us from the evils of the Irish Language Act that can put in the bedroom tax and all the rest of things. So it's, it's a distraction in their opinion. But I also feel a lot of it is sectarianism too and um, it's easy to feed the people and it is a distraction because you know you, you have people getting themselves all excited about flags and about language and things like this here. They're not thinking about unemployment. They're not thinking about the, the real issues and the real problems. And I think whenever the flag protests came and I saw, I suppose in many ways, community utilising itself, getting out there, and it had been doing that for something positive, you know, you know. And I think there is a lot of anger and a lot of um, a lot of issues within loyalist working class communities. But it's not about flags, it's about poverty, it's about addiction, it's about ill health, it's about unemployment, it's about lack of education. But there, those problems are a lot more difficult to articulate. It's much easier to say, oh, you took my flag away, or you just want an Irish language act, and we don't want it, you know. I also think one of the issues, to be fair to people within the unions community as well, is, you know, they see the Irish language act as irrelevant. They see it as unnecessary. And I think that's perfectly understandable, because they don't have any engagement with the Irish language community. You know, they don't feel any part of that. They don't see the schools. They don't see what's happening. It may as well not exist for them. You know, who do they know who are Irish speakers? Well, people like Martino Miller and Niall O'Donnell. You know, they don't know about skull and dry heads. They don't know about just ordinary, everyday life of Irish speakers. And I think there's an onus on Irish speakers to engage more with the unionist community and to say, you know, this is who we are, this is what we do, this is not about politics. And it frustrates me as well because um, when Stephen Nolan did a show and he went up to Glornamona and what you saw was children who appeared to be politicised and that's, that's the reality. You know, Now, that doesn't mean that children don't have the right to talk about wanting an Irish language act and children, you know, shouldn't be involved in these things. But I think what we need to do is also see children in the classroom learning and doing normal things and singing songs. And and I know that exists, you know that exists, but if you live on the Newton Arch Road, you don't. You and what know. do the Irish language movement need to do to kind of bridge that gap then for regular Protestant people? Um, I suppose if you're an Irish speaker, this is a way that Irish speakers can do it as individuals. If you're an Irish speaker, you know, you shop, you have friends, you work, you do all sorts of things. So it's allowing people to know that Irish is part of your life. It's allowing people to know that Irish is just a normal thing, that it's not about your politics. And I, and I you know... I don't sign up to this, you know, the nice speakers and the nasty speakers and, you know, so it's all of it's Sinn Féin. It's all, you know, I'm not saying that you don't have a right to, to be a Sinn Féin supporter and be an Irish speaker, 
But I think what people need to know is that it's bigger than that. That's a slice of the cake, you know. And so I'll give you, for instance, you know, I've had people who I would say is quite reasonable people saying to me, Linda, guess what? My niece has gone out with a fella. And you know, he speaks Irish. And he's, he's an awful nice fella, surprisingly enough, you know. Now, that, that changes everything because all of a sudden you have this normal person and they're not Sinn Féin or they're not out protesting or whatever and it's not about an Irish language act. And I'm for an Irish language act, obviously. It's just a person who speaks Irish. That's what the unionist community need to realise. There are people who speak Irish as part of their life. And then when they realise that, they can start to realise, well, this is why they want an act. Because people, and a lot of people within the unionist community think... Why do they want an act? They want an act to have a go at us. They want an act to be political. And they can't see that it's anything to do with the language. And I have tried to say to people, look, you know, they have an act in Scotland and they have an act in Wales. Why do they have an act in Scotland? Why do they have an act in Wales? Well, it's about protecting the minority language because it's surrounded by a tsunami of English. It's about giving rights to people who speak Welsh or people who speak Scottish Gaelic so as they can access you know, certain public services in that language. Why do they want an act here? It's to protect the minority language. It's to, you know, but they don't see that. In Scotland or Wales, it could be to do those things here. It's to lead us into United Ireland. It's so Sinn Féin will have their way. You know, they, they can't get this idea. It's about a language. One of the things you said there are about the, the problems that are really in working class Protestant areas like yeah. housing and health and education and employment and stuff like that, they're, they're all the exact same problems that are happening Absolutely. in the working class Catholic Absolutely. areas. I think that's probably a thing that yeah. needs to be um, yeah. kind of yeah. both sides recognise as yeah. well. Yeah, that people are suffering the same problems and you know, and in Northern Ireland this is another issue and I, and I think that this is where we need to wise up. You know, we can't afford to have two school systems. We can't afford to have two teacher training colleges for the very small number of teachers we train. And if we stopped those sorts of things, if we stopped our separatist attitudes, then, you know, we would be mixing more, we would be engaging more. That would force people to engage more. And it would save us a lot of money. And that sort of money could then be put into health and education to make Northern Ireland a better place. Looking in from a nationalist uh, community at, mm-hmm. at loyalism, like it seems like there's our unionism it seems like there's a very strong sort of conservative element within unionism today. But then the issues that we're talking about there in terms of like housing and education and stuff like that, there, you know, it seems like the conservative way isn't really serving no, the working class powers and people at the minute. And I mean, I that's what I feel. You know that the DUP have not represented loyalist communities well, and that's why these communities are in the state they're in. Because you know, and that that's been not just with the DUP. That's true of the, the kind of old unionist party. Um, you know, I'll even share a story with you. My my husband's father was socialist as well, and he said about you know when there were kids, the the local sort of unionist councillor or whatever turning up for you know election time and coming down the street and the women at the doors and you know again all you know only coming down patronising out Gatlick and um, said his father standing in the hall you know the house damp and the paper falling on the walls and coming oh, keep heavy palaces like big palaces and stuff I said F off you know 
but you know that the problem is people have supported you know that kind of attitude where they have driven in and driven out and don't give a damn and you know it's the same with the DUP <coughs> you know I even think again back to the 80s um, you know when my first husband was during the time of the unemployment so he had no job we were living in a two up two down house around the corner here and um, you know with a couple of kids things were hard and the DUP came round, the UUP, all the different parties come round and they talked about getting a wall built because there was no wall then. It was, you know, there'd been a lot of trouble, but that like wasn't... Like a dividing wall? A peace line, yeah. yeah there, wasn't no peace, there wasn't a peace line there until... Definitely it was the late 80s. It might have been even into the 90s, late 80s. I mean, at one time we lived in what was the last Protestant house in Beach Street Street Streets, half Catholic, half Protestant, and we lived in what was the last Protestant house, and then it was no man's land. By this time we were around the corner in Westburn Street. But, um, you know, that, that was all the focus on. And then these other ones came round, and they talked about unemployment, they talked about benefits, they talked about all the things that we were interested in, and it turned out they were the Workers' Party. So we always voted for them after that. You know, because they were the only ones that were interested in real things, real politics. And I know, you know, my first husband, my first husband was from the road as well. We weren't interested in local politics. We were very interested in British politics. We were interested in, well, we wanted to see the Labour Party getting in because it was the years of Maggie Thatcher. And, you know, we suffered terribly. My husband was a factory worker, so he was one of the first people he out of work and you know spent the whole ladies with no job and you know it was just very very tough times. Why is there no left wing mainstream unionist movement at the minute? Well I think it's again because of the troubles because there was up until the troubles and then you know people sort of sadly connect left wing politics and socialism with republicanism and even now you know I'd be a great supporter of um, Corbyn, but all I hear is, oh sure, he's part of the IRA, he'll lead us on in the United Ireland. You know, well, what I, I don't hear that from Jeremy Corbyn. What I hear is him challenging the Conservative Party, their austerity, you know, the, the, the lack of care they have for ordinary people, and, um, you know, and I don't see, I see the DUP selling out these communities, and it's, you know, and a lot of people are wise to the DUP in these communities too. But, you know, the, the people who are supporting them are the very people that are being harmed. And, um, you know, I, I know that my, my brother-in-law, David, you know, he, he made different statements about the DUP and said they've self-interest, and so they have. And they were also, you know, they're very threatened by, not so much now because the DUP's really on its last legs, but... You know, when the PUP was strong, the DUP did everything in its power to destroy it because they were the enemy. You know, Sinn Féin were never going to take votes off the DUP, but parties like the PUP will. Like that thing of the people who are voting for them being the ones that are getting harmed seems to be a common thread at the minute with the way that the Brexit vote went in England and America yeah, with people voting for Donald yeah, Trump as well. Yeah. And it's, it's just, I don't know, is it something within... Both it's lack of education and then you feed the people... You know, you turn minorities against each other. So, you know, I see it very much with the Irish-Lamese community now where, you know, people will attack 
the Irish Lemmings community and attack an act by saying, well, what about the deaf? What about the, when they do that? Well, you know, they, yes, there's the people who are deaf have a right to this, but, you know, you can't use deaf people to attack, you know, use one minority to attack another minority. And it's not the deaf that are doing it. You know, it's people who don't give a shit about people who are deaf, you know. So that's always an ongoing thing, and we see it, you know, the racism now, because they use immigrants and to, you know, that's a reason why people aren't getting benefits, aren't getting jobs. No, that's not the reason, you know. Do you think Belfast has changed in the last in the last number of years? Yeah, I do. Um, I mean, I think about, you know, growing up in Belfast and as a teenager and then as a young adult, and, you know, it's a very different place than it was then, like, say, the 1980s. I think it's it's a better place in many ways. I mean... The job that I'm doing, I couldn't have done that in the eighties. I wouldn't have survived, you know. Um, you know, on both sides of the community, people we we all kept our heads down. You know, you didn't draw attention to yourself. You didn't, and I I know I come from a family who, because of their politics, you know, were under were under threat, were under suspicion, and um, I mean, we were we were put out. When I was married and things were put out because of my family's politics, you know, it was sort of turned against us. And put out by who? Put out by paramilitaries. Put out by loyalist paramilitaries. Yeah, yeah, by threats, you know, and it was over by kids, my neighbours, but because of the family politics, and you know, one of the things that was um, shouted down at us was Fenian lovers, you know, that other thing. I was in a very powerless position then, very, very powerless position. Because my first husband wasn't involved in anything. In fact, he had went out of his way not to. Um, when he was a teenager and whatnot, he did put him under pressure to try, you know, to, to join a paramilitary group. And he, he didn't want to get involved. His father was a socialist and had them all. It's all boys. They were all well-worn to stay away from anything like that. He ended up joining the British Army. I think as a means of escape, and did three years. He didn't like it either, but he, he did it, you know, and um, and then and come out, and him and I got married. But um, was he based in, in Belfast when he was in the British no, Army no, abroad? He was based in Cyprus in England. He never never served here. Um, he was, did his training down in Ballymena and whatnot. But um, and he, he say he come out, and he's only in his early twenties when he come out, you know. But um, one of the things always struck me was his army papers because he was, you know, he's a factory worker and he's in and out of jobs all the time. And any time he went for a job, he always took his army papers because the only reference he ever had. And on his, re- his army papers would have been his name. And it was his nationality. And the army, according to the British Army, British stroke Irish, you know. And one of the things, because he always celebrated St. Patrick's Day because in the British Army... They, the big thing made of St. Patrick's Day when they were given shamrock and they all went and got drunk. And, you know, for him, it was very important not to be English. You know, they were Irish soldiers. And, um, you know, so he was very, I say, a Protestant from the Newton Arch Road, but very much in touch with his Irishness. As was I, you know, I never was told it was anything but Irish. You know, my nanny and my grand, my grand was an Englishman from London. And one of the stories always was talked about was my nanny went over 
and my nanny was born in Thistle Street, in the same street that my daddy was born, in the same street that I was born here in the Newtonard Road. And um, she went over to meet his family, and um, she was called she was at the window or something. His mother said, "Come away from the window, that horrible Irish woman down the street. I'll see you." Uh, just total offence left, you know. And any time there was any rows in the house, and my nanny and my granddad would have fought all the time, but it was always crack, you know, you never felt threatened by it or anything. And I uh, was bloody English man, bloody English man. So we always knew he was wrong because he was English and we were right because we were Irish, you know. And that was... Never seen it in any other way, you know. And my granddad said, bloody Irish, honest to God. This is only my second time over here, as I was mm-hmm. telling you earlier on, but do you think that today... If I was down in the shopping centre down the road there speaking Irish, like, how how would that be? Is that all right? Well, I'm going to tell you, things have changed because, I mean, there was Matthew who came over here six years ago and Matthew would have tripped about there with his common Cleonard T-shirt with the Ireland, nobody ever said a word to him. We now, I mean, people know we're here. When we first started, you know, there was people walked out of this building when they found out there was Irish being taught. I'll never be back in here again and things. And that has changed. People know we're here. I'm not saying everybody approves that we're here, but there's no bother. And, you know, we've certainly been tolerated. And one of the first times I realised how much we've been tolerated was there was a riot here whenever Patrick McGee came and about 200 people gathered there and it was it was quite bad. There's never been any protest because we're here. There's never been any protest because of what we're doing. There's people who have tried to you know, incite it, but nobody's biting, nobody's interested, nobody is getting annoyed enough to stop us to do anything about it. Nobody comes in here and says to me, you shouldn't be doing it. Some people don't speak to me, some people give me a dirty look. That's that's the height of it, you know. A few wee things on Facebook, that is the height of it. Um, my learners go down and sit in that cafe and speak in Irish. You know, my teachers go down there and speak in Irish. Um, I'll give you another, for instance, and he, he definitely thought I'd set it up, and I said no. Kevin McGillivine came over here to meet me, this must be five years ago, and one of the guys who's the facilities guys, you know, does the cleaning and whatnot, would be one of my learners. So it was in the morning, and I went to the door, and um, he said, I said, I said, Maji Mai, John. And as we walked up, one of my darlings comes and says, Akajay Martatu, and you smell my. He says, You've set this up. <laughs> I says, I have. It's just, do you know what I mean? So, will you hear Irish in here? Yeah, you will. Because, and there's so many of them now. I mean, you think there's 200 people arriving here, and they're walking in, and they're chit chattering, and they're practicing their couple of fuckle on the stairs, and, you know, so it's not an issue. Um, I mean, Robin, one of the Red Hand Commandos, he'll be over in our belt and he see me say, Ach, when did Jamar Tatu? I say, come away, Robin. You know, Jamar Tatu, not an issue. Nick, who's one of our volunteers, who's obviously must be Catholic and, you know, he, he's, he had a brain injury. So he does the reception on a Friday morning and every Friday morning he practices his couple of fuckle with me and... You know, and I said, "Him can tell me," and you know, we'd say, "How do you, how do you say that?" And you know, and so you know, people are used to it, so not a not a big issue. Yeah. The thing that was in the news recently about the lads running around the road with the Ku Klux Klan uniforms, like, yeah. how is, what's the story with that? 
Well, you remember that's not here. This is the Newtonards Road. That's Newtonards. So two right. very, very different places and miles apart. You know, people sometimes seem to get that confused. I was confused about that. Uh-huh, well, you see, Newtonards <laughs> is a town away. Right. I actually thought it was on the Newtonards uh-huh, Road. No, no, Newtonards right. is miles away. Is there an element within uh, loyalism or unionism that that? I think maybe a very, very small, you know, a tiny minority of misguided people who, you know, I I don't know why they seem to think that that sort of stuff's good, you know. And I'm sure there's the same exists in republicanism where, you you know, you get these extremes. um, Sometimes I think maybe there's someone in a Protestant area looking at something that they see on the news about something that happened in a Catholic area saying, oh, what, what are they doing over there? They're all a bunch of racists, but... And maybe I just don't see it. It seems to me like, mm-hmm. obviously I'm coming but from a certain perspective yeah. there, but it seems mm-hmm. to be that there's more of it happening yeah. in loyalist stories than it is in, in nationalist stories. Is that is that accurate or is that just I my bias? No, I don't know if it's true. You know, I mean, when I look on social media, for instance, you know, I see some, oh God, some shit out of my own community, you know. Which, and I, I cringe, I suppose, when I hear things from the DUP because I think, you know, that is not who I am. That doesn't represent me. That has never represented me. And most of the people I know don't think like that, don't behave like that. There's a very small minority. Um, you know, and when I see Nan again and again, it just makes me... You know, you think, what the hell do you do about these things? If I see somebody from a Republican background who are coming off with real extreme things, I don't see it that often, but I have seen it, you know, and it's something recently, actually. Yeah, it was really... Somebody shared it because they will, because they'll they'll milk this for all it's worth, unfortunately. And it was um, pertaining to the, the Shankle bombing. And it mentioned John Frizzell, and it said, it's, oh, it was Jerry Adams' cookbook, that's what it was, which I, I find a bit bizarre, I have to be honest, but there you go, I mean, Jerry Adams wants to launch a cookbook, he's every right to launch a cookbook, you know. But um, the horrible comment that was made was that John Frizzell was in the soup section, because that's what he is now. Now, that's sick. Do I feel that that's how everybody in the nationalist community feels? No. Do I feel that that's how everybody who is a Republican feels? No. You know, I can look at that and as a reasonable, rational human being, I can say, now there's a friggin' idiot, there's somebody on the gun, it's a good smack around the gob. And I would imagine a lot of people in the nationalist community would agree with me more than them. But sadly, what happens is, some people look in and go, ah, that's, that's the way they all feel. And genuinely think that. And some people look in and go, ah, that's the way they all feel because that suits my agenda. And I think it's the same within the unionist community. You know, there are a minority of headers. Maybe there's more of them. I don't know, possibly. But, you know, they certainly don't represent, you know, they're a minority and they don't represent most people. One of the things that comes around every year that gives me the creeps when I see it, and I keep meaning to be able to ask someone about it, so seeing as we're talking about it now, I might as well ask you about it, but why does the, the kill all tags thing come up on the bonfires every year? Is that something that's, like, where does that come from? Well, I think sadly, I mean, where did it come from? I don't know, but sadly, and I, it's always been, I think, I think, and my husband would be very strong on this, that he doesn't, he'd never liked the 11th or the 12th. I have to say I did as a child. I loved the 11th and liked the 12th. And, um, it brings the worst out in people. 
does. It's just a time of the year that seems not everybody, but it does seem to bring the worst out. It brings that old sectarianism out, and that's why Bran always hated it. You know, and he's he's shared a few stories. And Bran's ten years older than me, so he's memories from before the troubles. But when there was still that more underlying sectarianism, you know, and remember one of the stories he told me about, you know, his street. He's from um, just a couple Chamberlain Street, a couple of streets away from here. And Chamberlain Street was a big, big, massive, long street, you know. And he said, you know, they would have collected for the bonfires when they were kids. And we all loved that. It was the most exciting thing of the year, you know, collecting for the bonfire. And um, there was one of the neighbours always let them keep the wood in her yard. Never was an issue. She was a Catholic woman. And it never struck him at the time. It never struck him for years later. The woman probably did it because she was scared. You know, she didn't want to do it. And then he just felt ashamed. You know, but he didn't understand as a child. You know, so all these things that you were caught up in as children, but you didn't you didn't have a real, you know. So sectarianism, as I say, at the 12th and the 11th, I suppose it's, it is that tribalism where people band together and all of a sudden, you know, all these things are important that don't didn't matter the rest of the bloody year, you know. And one of them things is... You know, if you're not one of us, you're one of them. Do you think that's going to fade over the years and it becomes something that's more acceptable to everyone in Belfast or in the North? I think, um, you know, maybe if the troubles hadn't come... You always think if the troubles hadn't come, you know, could things have developed, could have been different? And, you know, one of the things I feel the Orange Order, and I, I challenge the Orange Order on this, and this is not, you know, I mean, I, my family, we don't have a, we don't have any links with the Orange Order, I don't have a family history with the Orange Order, but I recognise that, you know, they have a right to exist. I went and saw the bands, I took my children to see the bands, you know, um, it is a bit of a spectacle, but I think it has to move away from, I suppose, what I see as anti-Catholic, they say they're not anti-Catholic, they say they're pro-Protestant. I'm not so sure. But, you know, one of the things I think they could very much do is change this rule that they have that their members can't attend a Mass. Because what's the point of that? You know, they can't go to a funeral, they can't go to a wedding. To what, a Catholic? Catholic, yeah. A funeral service? Now, they do do it but that is actually against their, their rules. So the fact even that they do do it, why don't you just change it? And I, I said to Mervyn Gibson about this, and his reply to me I found was very strange. It's actually on Slugger O'Toole, so it's there, it's, it's there you know, publicly. Um, he said that he, he sympathised with what I said, but that they would have had members... Well, first of all, he said that you know they didn't make people... Um, they didn't disallow people from going to Catholic masses, they could leave their organisation. You know, it's not a good answer. And then the other one he said was that, um, you know, they've had, you know, situations where, which I find very hard to believe, but, you know, bloody sad, you know, fathers didn't attend the, the weddings of daughters and things because they were marrying Catholics. And how unfair it would be to change that rule now. So it's a bit like, why don't we stop slavery? Because it's very unfair to all those people that were slaves then. You know, she just kept them all slaves, you know. I mean, that just was a ridiculous answer. 
But, you know, for me, I would get them a lot of kudos. They said, okay, this was a thing in the past, you know, this was, you know, we don't need that now, you know, why would we have an issue about going to the funeral or, you know, or wedding of a, a Catholic brethren? You know, what, what I want to do is I want to... You know, well, I have found diversity within the Irish language community, but I would like to increase that diversity. And again, I say this in a totally non-sectarian um, sense, I do want to see more Protestants involved, and that's, that's all there is about it. So one of the things I've been trying to do is to encourage businesses to um, sponsor my learners, and I've had a bit of success in that, and I, I've got people to university, and I want to see more of that. So I want to see those jobs and all the rest of it. And... Um, also then, on the other end of it, I want to see a nursery school, I want to see a bun school, I want it to be an integrated Irish medium school, because I think that would be a game changer as well. And I want to do what I'm challenging the, the Irish language community to do, I want to create situations for more people within the unionist community to have engagement with the Irish language community, because I want those speakers to be within the Irish language community, to be, you know, within the unionist community as well. And I want... Within the next 10 years, maybe it'll take 10 or 20 years, I don't know that if you see a child in an Irish medium uniform or you hear somebody speak in Irish, you will not immediately react to what their politics are, what their religion is, you know, because you won't have bloody clue and neither would you want to care or know. Um, so that that's what I hope the future is for the language. And I think it would be good for Northern Ireland and I think it would be good for the language too. And we need the help of speakers. We need people to, to help us and encourage us and support us. What we've had is encouragement, help, advice, gifts, you know, all sorts of things, really, really positive stuff. And, you know, I've never had any hesitation about taking people over, encouraging people to go over. They've went over. Nobody has ever come back and said to me, oh, I went over and I felt. They have said they've found nothing but friendship help, encouragement, and then they bring people back here, and you know, it's, it's, it's been really good. Would that have been some, some people's first times going down the Falls Road? Oh, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. And a lot of people who come over to us first time over here, you know, so, um, you know, because my learners go over and say, you should come over, well, I wouldn't go over, I'd be a bit scared, so rise up, come on. <laughs> You know, and I know coming past those murals and all, you know, but as again when we take people over there, some of them have never been on the Falls Road in their life, never been on West Belfast, real walk on the wild side for them, but they love it, and because they get interested in the language, then they do it. And I mean, Skull South River Grackton, we would be the biggest group on mass. There's been years where there's been forty odd of them, all turning up for Skull South. Why are the murals and the flags so prevalent? And loyalist areas like I suppose that's an ongoing problem within loyalism. It's this defensiveness, it's this fear, it's this you know, almost I sometimes think it's almost paranoia, some of the things. And again, I'm talking about a minority of people, but I suppose when you see what they're fed from above, because I think when you feed people fear it keeps them keeps them behaving the way you want them to. And even with the whole Irish language act thing very recently, you know, you had Jim Allister, this is going to hollow out your Britishness. Um, this is going to cost billions and billions. That was McCausland. Um, what else did we have? Oh, um, Reg Enfie, compulsory education. No, compulsory education was never asked for. But, I mean, those things were coming out on an official basis. 
So why wouldn't you believe that? Why wouldn't you listen to that? And, you know, a lot of the times when I've been talking to groups or on social media and they've said, well, you don't want an Irish language act because A, B, C, D. And I say, well, I do want an Irish language act, but I agree with you. I don't want A, B, C, D or E either, and I'm glad they're not in. You know, that, that hasn't been proposed. Oh, right, well, what about no? And I said, no, no. Well, what about no? That's not... Yeah. And then when you kind of get talking to people and say, oh, well, I didn't realise. Is that all it's about? Oh, I don't really care then. I don't give a damn. But, you know, they're fed nonsense. And they're fed this fear. As far as they're concerned, Sinn Féin are trying to lead them in the United Ireland against their will. And once they get them in the United Ireland, they'll do God only knows what to them. And, you know, and, you know, and I, I've had this row with Brown too. And I'd say... You know, well, you know, Sinn Féin and Republican, they want the United Ireland. You know, that's not a mystery. We know that. That's Unionists want to stay with the Union. When we agreed to the Good Friday Agreement, we said that people could be Irish or British and people could want, you know, that that was a valid um, aspiration to want the United Ireland or a valid aspiration to stay within the UK and it's down to a head count. And... You know, to me, the most ridiculous thing with unionism is that they say, OK, this is down to head count, this is important. It's actually a much easier argument to retain the status quo. I mean, that, that's the reality. You see that in Scotland. It's people are frightened of change because your heart might say one thing, but your head, I'm not so sure. So, you know, all unionism has to do is sit there and behave well, treat people fairly, and a lot of people within the niceness community will stay within the UK. That that is the reality. The whole Brexit thing, um, you know, say the denial of an Irish language act, the, the just you know that nasty, that nasty attitude that the DUP can have. Then you know I can understand why Catholic people then would say, oh, I'm going to vote for the South. You know, there's no doubt about it. So. You know, I just think about a graciousness. All all unionism has to do is have a bit of graciousness, and they don't seem to be able to do that. You know, there's been that. I think they're still living 50 years ago, where it's never, 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 and you know, we we say goes, and unfortunately, that's not the world we're living in anymore. And even people within the Protestant community are saying, mm, I don't really like that either. I don't want to be associated with that. I certainly don't want to be associated with it. You know? It feels like that a lot of that rhetoric is designed to keep Catholics and Protestants apart yeah. as well. Like, yeah. Or that's the result yeah. of it anyway, yeah. I think. And, I mean, look at the lack of investment in integrated schools. and Well, I suppose all these things work for Sinn Féin and the DUP because the polarisation has worked very well for the two big parties, but it isn't working well for... You know the population. So, but I, I don't see any solution to it at the minute. You just wonder when people will say, "Well, enough's enough," because it's a mess. I mean, it is a mess now. Do you think that the Brexit makes the possibility of United Ireland even more likely? I do. I do because I think what I, what I find interesting was it's the first time, and it still would be a minority, but it's the first time in my life I've heard people from within the unionist community talking about a united Ireland as, you know, a financial preference, you know, as a possibility. And it's not about identity anymore. It's not about flags. It's not about any of those things. It's about, 
money, it's about, you know, just how, you know, being able to live your job. Exactly, you know, and that, that that's kind of a first, you know, it's interesting. It's precarious times. If I'm honest, you know, what I would like to see is, because I do think, you know, something has gone wrong with the union, it's not working, it's not working for Scotland, it's not working for us, it's not working for Wales. And if I could get my magic wand out, nobody's given me one, but if I could, I would create a federation of islands where London is not in charge. You know, England would just be another country, we would be another country, whether that would be a Northern Ireland or a United Ireland. Um, I don't know. I don't. It doesn't really matter to me as long as it works and as long as we had very close ties. So I suppose in, in some ways we'd be separating ourselves from the, the rest of the UK a little bit but we'd be going into, we'd be bringing the rest of Ireland into closer ties with Britain. So, you know, there'd be struggles for, for both. For me, what's important is that we are a group of islands. Now, we have a very troubled history, and I, I acknowledge that and I recognise that, but geographically we are a group of islands, and we can't change that. And I think if we could find a way that we would have our independence, but have very close, you know, working arrangements with each other and respect for each other because the reality is, you know, half of Ireland is living in England and the biggest group of immigrants living in Ireland are English. I mean, that that just is how it exists. We are an island and we're only 13 miles away from England, from Scotland, you know, so we are in very close proximity to each other. So if there's some way that we could get over ourselves and say, okay, what, what could work for us financially here? And, you know, being ruled by London, it's not working, it's not working for Wales. Wales is a very poor country sitting beside a very rich part of the country. It's not working for the north of England, it's not working for Scotland, but it could maybe work for us in some sort of federation of islands. If we, if we just threw the rule book out and said, okay, the, the union that was set up 200 years ago, it's not working anymore, what could we do instead? You know? And if we could woo the South back in, but not in the British rule, you know, that, that, that day is gone. But again, some sort of respectful, you know, integration of islands. I know that's what I would like to see, but the hell of a lot of ones have to fight on both sides <laughs> to get there. <laughs> you know. Not actual fighting, no. Uh, no We're finished no. with that. <laughs> <laughs> well we hope we, we will. Well here's the problem now to see if say if we ever go back and pray God we don't. I mean I, I where the hell will I go? Because I'll have to go south or go to Scotland one of the other because I'll not survive here two minutes. Like, you know, I'm gonna be public well definitely public enemy number one, you know. How can people follow what you are doing here? Well, we have our own um, our own Facebook page, Cartoturs, and we have our own website, Cartoturs, which is quite new. We're still setting it up. We have a little shop on it. We sell um, T-shirts with Cartoturs on it and um, uh, hoodies. What I love to see is just ran- I want to see random people wearing Cartoturs T-shirts everywhere. I want that to be the latest thing. So there you go. Shanae Hardjigil, episode 24 of the Rebel Matters podcast is in the bag. Gurumila Maigat, 
Ta Linda Assisi Slum Ogus and Koreshin Ahafid. As usual for all you guys at home, share the Rebel Matters podcast around. It's available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, Android, YouTube, and on a little Libsyn blog that I've set up specifically for the Rebel Matters podcast. Go to iTunes and leave us a five star written interview that really helps to keep the whole thing on the road and come back next week for more. Gajian Kedarella, Harja, Bigi Jasen Lakela, Ogus Kenny Furex, Langaford.